On this episode of Deal and Extend, we discuss which is better, cloud storage or local storage? Maybe a bit of both? This episode of Deal and Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 61 of Deal and Extend. Deal and Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the Deal and community from places like the Discourse Forms, Telegram Group, Discord Server, and more. We also snag topics from around the network and give you our takes. We are down one co-host this week. Sad to say, Nate is not with us and he probably won't be with us next week, but I do have my fantastic gaming co-host. Matt, how are you? I'm not bad, Wendy. I would never enable people to play more Never, games. yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? That's almost like you think I always have game recommendations. Not always, but usually, and I'm pretty sure everyone on this network knows you by now and they are not taking any guff. They know you game and share it. <laughs> totally. Just like everyone knows you do photography and you share it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Fair enough. Gaming is not the only thing I'm into. Technology is also the thing I'm into. You do other stuff too, and it sounds like the Pine Phone's been out again. I've been messing around with UbiPorts or Ubuntu Touch or whatever version of it you want to call it. I run on the development channel anytime I try UbiPorts specifically. They have a newer system where you can actually upgrade the kernel and that kind of stuff. They're doing a lot of work on moving to, I believe, 2004 for base, which is really kind of cool. For those that don't know, it's still on a 1604 base. Ooh. Well, you got to remember at the time of when it was put out, it was an LTS by Canonical. I get it. There has been a lot of work that has gone into UbiPorts specifically for the Pine phone that you can see. It's not so much just the UI and that kind of stuff, but it's more the feel of the UI. Before, it was probably the best performing out of the mobiles that I've tried between like Nemo and some of the other OSs, KDE, Plasma Mobile, and Manjaro and Fosh and all the other type of mobile UIs and everything else in their random bases. UbiPorts was still the most fluid, but now it feels much more fluid. When you actually click something, there doesn't feel like that weird laggy delay, almost kind of like the old Android devices where you'd click something or like you'd move the home screen and it wouldn't be like a one to one. Yeah. You tap the screen, you move it and it's like as you move it, the home screen drags animation wise behind your finger. It doesn't make for a great user experience, but stuff like that has been improved dramatically, like just the drop down shape. I can still see it's dropping animations and stuff, but the nice thing about it is like when you switch across the top for like the toggles and stuff of like different settings it's very smooth very one-to-one as far as what i'm seeing with the movement and that kind of stuff app startup time has gotten better as far as how long certain stuff takes to load it used to take a couple of seconds it's still a little longer than what you'd be used to on ios android even blackberry 10 or any of those mobile operating systems but it's been a nice to see the improvements there is some things that I'm not sure if it's an UbiPorts thing or not, but the gauge that they have for UbiPorts of like where a phone's features and functions list are for Ubuntu Touch has certain things that I guess maybe because I'm running on the dev channel that actually do work. An example is it says like the flashlight torch or whatever you want to call it doesn't actually work. 
yet if I go to the battery setting and hit flashlight, I'm pretty sure I'm staring at a light right now. Nice. There are features and functions that work. Uh, the cameras are actually starting to work. Not ideally, but they are starting to. You have some basic function now then, huh? Basic locked functionality. Certain things like it's stuck at 2.1 megapixels on a 5 megapixel camera. Oh. It's there. You can take stuff. I haven't tried megapixel and I haven't tried some of the other. My preferred area for the Pine Phone is Ubuntu Touch. Right. As far as apps and all that stuff, it's been great. There is almost no app that I cannot replace from Android on Ubuntu Touch. Nice. I very rarely say this is actually a good web app for YouTube that feels like it's an actual app. A lot of the times the web apps that I've found tend to feel very, here's the mobile version of the website kind of deal. Not always ideal. Things like UNAV and Pure Maps are available. There's a podcasting app, Podbird, that I use. Club Player is one that I can use to substitute for Spotify or YouTube Music. They even have a really good Telegram app that I use. I believe it's called Teleports. The only complaint I really have, the cameras still have issues with the headphone jack. And I'm not 100% sure why that would be. But overall, I've been enjoying it. It's been quite fun to play with and see the fluidity of the development and the fact that I can almost, almost be able to use a different OS besides Android or iOS and not some antiquated OS that is no longer supported like BlackBerry 10 or Windows Mobile. (laughs) Yeah, that is awesome to see. The development of it is coming along so well. I'm excited to see what it looks like. I wish I had a device right now that I could play with it on too, because I'd love to check it out. I'm waiting for when they actually make it easier to install. Right now you have to download the image and it's not built with the Ubuntu installer or UbiPorts installer, which is really a nice installer. It does a lot of that stuff for you. There are phones that you can get that are 100% supported with the installer, with Ubi ports, and get it installed really nice and quick. I know the original OnePlus One, I think the OnePlus 3T was recently put in there. There is a few options. They're older, but they're fully featured as far as like everything works kind of deal. And I really don't have a problem with a lot of these older phones as long as you have an updated system. Typically, the hardware is still good. When people are trading phones, it's not the hardware that's the problem. It's the fact that the software is no longer getting updates, security patches. Yeah, definitely. That's the nice thing. Obviously, I'm running on a dev build, so mileage may vary. It's like running a rolling, do at your own risk. My thing is, if it enables features and it's still being updated, I can definitely not complain. And the UbiPorts Foundation and the guys that are developing it have been very good about supporting devices for as long as humanly possible from what I've seen. It gives me a lot of hope as it compared to when I sit here and look at my Sonom XP8 that I use as my daily driver. Cool, it was updated to Android 10. It originally shipped with Nougat, so 7. That's pretty good for a phone manufacturer, not going to lie. Yeah, that's awesome. I don't expect any updates after that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I think from an ecological point of view, Ubi ports is like Ubuntu Touch specifically is a better long-term play as far as device support and device longevity and maybe having a little less impact footprint-wise on sending something to the junkyard that might not need to go there. Yeah. Speaking of ecological and footprints and all that kind of stuff, you've been doing some stuff and what exactly have you been doing, Wendy? Mostly I've been getting ready for class that I will be taking this week, the week of recording this episode. That's been taking up most of my time. So the kids are done with school, but I am not. 
We did get around to finally getting the garden in, though. I know it's the beginning of June. Normally, we like to have it in by mid-May around here. So there's certain things that aren't going to get to go in the garden because I can't find them and it's late enough in the season that I don't want to start them from seed, and that's cabbage. Anybody who knows me knows that we love to ferment vegetables around here, and sauerkraut is one of my favorites of all time. Last year, we didn't get to make sauerkraut because right as the cabbages were ready to be harvested, our yard bunnies decided to help themselves to our cabbages. No kraut last year, and now this year, because I'm so late in getting plants gathered and in the ground, it's just past the time that you could get cabbages at the local greenhouse. So I'll have to buy those from the farmer's market this year. We will get kraut, but they won't be in the garden. It's mostly peppers. There are tons of hot peppers and sweet peppers. It's really a garden full of peppers. Uh, Did I just hear hot peppers? Yeah. So for the last few years, there's always at least one habanero plant. I don't eat them, but my husband does enjoy them. And then there's always some jalapenos and some chipotle peppers. The chipotle is what seems to go the most as far as the seasoning. And then we typically plant some banana peppers and we'll put a really nice light smoke on the banana peppers and then can them. And that's one of the favorite toppings around here between our homemade pizza or whatever we're making. The smoked banana peppers come out. You and I have to have a conversation about that. Me like spicy food. Ooh. DigitalOcean is offering their app platform service, which is a solution to build modern cloud-native apps. With App Platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites quickly and easily. Simply point your GitHub repository and let the App Platform do all the heavy lifting. It has support for many programming languages such as Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, Plus, there's support for static sites, Docker, and container images. What are the other cool things that go with this DigitalOcean app platform service? High stability, zero infrastructure management, run code with little to no customizations. App platform uses cloud native standards and automatically analyzes your code creates containers, and runs them on Kubernetes clusters. As a DLN Extend listener and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Actually, better than free, because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you go to do.co slash DLN. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your $100 credit on DigitalOcean's app platform. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. While my garden isn't super tech-heavy, other parts of our life are, and that is what to do with different things that need to be stored. Should it be on a local storage or should it be on cloud storage? Now, when we're talking cloud storage, it would be something like Dropbox, Google Drive, OneDrive, iCloud, NextCloud. It doesn't have to be a proprietary service. There are some really awesome open source services out there. Where's the best things for stuff to go? Should anything be on a cloud? storage. I'm probably going to be in the minority here, but I'm actually in the neighborhood of both. (laughs) I have found that while there are good instances of being able to set up your own next cloud and that kind of stuff, there's a level of where it's resistance. I just refuse to use it because it's not open source and that kind of stuff or convenience factor, I guess. I'm not going to lie. I use very frequently a Google Drive account. 
it's not so much ease of use or is it the best one, etc. It's just the one that is the most convenient, unfortunately. As much as I hate to say convenience trumps everything else, at the end of the day, we are all end users. And to me, there are certain times not all the time, that cloud storage services and abilities to be there are very nice to have, not going to lie. Oh, I need to pull down this document. Oh, crap. I think that's on X drive at home instead of it's on my cloud storage device or whatever, especially if you have a meeting or something with it. Situations are more selective, though. Yeah. When I think local versus cloud, I think of it as somebody who's a medium collector. Everyone knows that I'm a gamer, obviously. A lot of my games, though, while I have a ton of PC games, don't get it twisted. I got a ton of them. I also have a ton of physical PS4 and PS3 and Wii U games, even newer consoles like the Switch and that stuff. I have a lot of physical games. And that's solely because I understand that things happen. I went two days without internet at home, two full days. I'm not going to sit there and stare at a five-inch screen the entire day. Oh, come on. (laughs) I could screencast some stuff, you know, if I wanted to do like Chromecast type deal or whatever. I turned on my Cody box and I watched a bunch of movies and had a bunch of background noise playing from stuff that over the years I have collected from stuff that I've owned, stuff that I've gotten rid of, stuff that broke in certain environments. Wendy, you would know this especially well. Certain groups of people are rougher with physical media than others. Yes. (laughs) children. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I just learned to have a local backup and sometimes two or three backups of what I own and rip and that kind of stuff. It depends what you're looking for. Document storage and that kind of stuff. I still do a lot of local, but like really important stuff that I need to have at the ready all the time in case I'm out and about, be it business or whatever. A lot of that stuff is cloud storage. So I might have a local copy. The cloud storage version is probably the one that's more up date. I think I'm more in the minority in that. This isn't even talking about services like the Netflix and the, the streaming and all the other stuff. It doesn't even get into that. Local storage is still something I value. I mean, I literally bought eight terabytes of hard drive space just to add to my local storage. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where you sit on this because I know, obviously, you have a lot of business stuff that you do online. So you probably have a different take than I do. I think we're actually more similar than you think. I'm on the side of both two and for multiple reasons. So one is definitely the convenience factor of I need this file and I need to be able to access it from just about anywhere. We use cloud storage all the time, especially for the co-op that we do on Thursdays. We can go ahead and set up a document and then it's shared around the entire group so we can put in what classes we're planning on teaching that semester so we can get a schedule. It is amazing for collaborative stuff like that. One of the other reasons why I'm also a proponent of cloud storage, and it doesn't even need to be stuff that you're accessing all the time, a backup. Local media can be destroyed. Fires can happen. Someone can break in. You know, all kinds of different things can happen to your physical media. And it is really important to have cloud options of some of that. Like I said, even if it's just for a backup, so you have it just in case of emergency. 
Now, having some local media is one of the things I've really been meaning to do. I mean, we have local media. It's in the form of discs. There's a lot of the discs that we have that have been damaged throughout the years, as I mentioned before, kids. And if I'm being wholly honest, and my husband would call me out on this if I didn't say so, because yes, hi, dear, I know you're listening. I have a tendency not to put discs away properly, so I can't blame it all on the children. So you have five. (laughs) I am pretty bad when it comes to getting this put away, too. I am admitting my failure there as well. But I've been battling the fact of, okay, in order to do that, I need even more storage because I have a lot of storage in my main system that I use for pictures and all kinds of stuff that's stored on there. But I don't have anything connected, say, for network access. And that is one of the things that even more so lately have been thinking about setting up. So that way it's not on a service externally, but it's still accessible to all the computers in the house. My daughter now has one computer that she uses all the time, so it's not that big of a deal now. But there for a while, she was jumping back and forth between systems And it was really important that whatever system she's working on, she has access to the paper she's writing. She has access to some of the reference materials that she needs for whatever she's doing at the time. The kid is always busy. She's always got all kinds of stuff going on. And having access to that stuff has been very important for her. And that's one of the situations where having cloud storage is so stinking handy especially where I don't have network connected storage at the moment, but I don't see it being long before there is some now. I'm in the same boat. I guess we are far similar than I thought. I figured you'd be more in the local storage camp, obviously, for your job. I did not take into consideration the amount that things like co-ops and stuff are using online services and that kind of stuff nowadays. Old man syndrome, I guess. I'm in kind of the same boat you are. I've been looking to set up more like a local NAS kind of setup so I can actually start pulling more from my local machines as opposed to always having to have and worry about making sure X machine has X file all the time. I think that would potentially help my situation a little more. Yeah, It's just not something that, like you mentioned with your daughter, I bounce between machines constantly. (laughs) Anybody who knows me and knows the amount of hardware that I go through, it's not a small amount. Like right now, one, two, three, four. I'm looking at five different systems. And right now they probably all have five different versions of the same file. (laughs) Wow. That's just the local storage system because it's like I need it at one point on this system. And then I obviously I move on to another system and oh, I need that file again. And it's just one of those constant things. Having a centralized repository would probably be a lot better for me. And that's really why I bought a lot of the local storage was I can do that also while obviously more storage for my coding machine. It ends up making my file management a lot easier, I'm finding, as the more I center my work and stuff around trying to be more local while having the nice ability to still use things like Google Drive or OneDrive or NextCloud or, you know, whatever solution you may choose. I'm definitely in the camp that 
I prefer local, but that's mostly because I recently kind of didn't have much access to the internet. So yeah, <laughs> coming to the realization that how much we rely on that kind of stuff, it made me a little more wary about relying on it solely. That's kind of where my sticking point really is. I want to rely on it like I would a physical backup. And yes, physical backups and physicals. And like you mentioned, everything mm-hmm. can break and fires and people steal crap and just take your pick. But there's the weird, like almost reassurance. It's there. Yeah. It's a hard thing to explain. <laughs> and this is going to make me sound, again, the old man. I don't think it's something that a much younger, born into the technology that we have now kind of crowd would understand because that's not the environment they've grown up in. Yeah. Especially if they're using devices that don't have expandable storage. And so they're relying on this massive amount of back end cloud storage don't get me wrong i think that both local storage and cloud storages have their place but there is a danger to solely relying on cloud storage and one of those things is stuff can be hacked more easily than you're likely to have a fire that burns down your local media so what you're putting on cloud storage is extremely important that it's not sensitive stuff yeah definitely it's that weird balancing act and again some of this may be coming across as old man kind of stuff you're not that much older than me so you need to stop calling yourself an old man older generation sorry (laughs) there you go there's things that as a generation behind that we kind of grew up on like we grew up on the physical cds and you know physical hard drives of like an ipod and there might be a quote-unquote nostalgia feel to it for some of us some of it's based in the what ifs and the realities of what can and can't happen. Mm -hmm. I can't have a production machine go down and not have access to those files. I'd be screwed. Right, exactly. (laughs) Really badly. If I'm doing a live production on my production machine and it goes down, I obviously have other machines that are capable of doing the production, but not having those files at all because OS got corrupted or whatever, the drive's damaged. Those generically are usually files that I'll propagate up on a cloud service, use it temporarily as a just-in-case. Yeah. I might have a local backup. I might not have a local backup of that specific edit. I might have the raw file. It'd be like going and doing a bunch of changes in, say, Photoshop or GIMP or whatever, and all of a sudden, your system just bricks. And you're like, sweet, I have the raw file again. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. So the raw file is still a good thing to have, but I can definitely understand the sense of devastation when you've spent hours of work on something and you're like, okay, I have the base, but all of that other work needs to be done all over again. It's this weird time investment thing where it's like, I just wasted, it could be an hour. Sometimes I've had stuff where I spent like 20 hours working on it and just some reason it doesn't want to save. And you're like, oh. (laughs) Awesome. It's a time investment thing. So for me, there's that mix of cloud and local that I think is ideal. Some people would argue otherwise. I totally get the convenience factor. We can't take that out of cloud storage as far as the services that are available, the proprietary services and even the next clouds and the other services that are available for it. I'm always going to have at least a local, especially local media. That's never going to change. That's just me and my stuck in my old generational way. Relying solely on Google Drive and all the other stuff is not something I don't think I'm comfortable with. Right. 
these companies can hit or miss and go away and come back. I mean, Canonical had the Ubuntu One stuff, which are offered free storage. Where do Ubuntu One go? They nuked it to oblivion. I don't want to be solely reliant on one company or you know one service to meet my needs. That's kind of where I have to expand my outlook from how I manage my local so that it's more network ready, I guess, as far as like it's more up to date and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I definitely agree on the fact that these services can come and go. And so relying on just one, putting all of your eggs in one basket, so to speak, is a possible way to get burned. And we know, especially with Google, not the most privacy focused company. And on top of that, they love to start things and get rid of them. I actually don't see Google Drive being one of the things that they get rid of, mainly because they've built so much of a business around Chrome OS, getting that into schools with their different web applications. So I'm pretty sure Google Drive is here to stay, but they still have a horrible track record for, we're going to do this new super awesome great thing. Oh, by the way, we're ending this on such and such a date. Google's track record is not reassuring. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the streaming consoles type stuff. Oh, Google Stadia is doing great. You just fired out your entire development team for your studio that you said was making yeah. games. <laughs> Doesn't really send a message of reassurance. And then you have services that can change their terms or the prices. So Dropbox is one of those things. It's been a long time since I've used it, but I think they started out as fairly reasonable cost-wise and it's gotten to the point that a bit on the spendy side to you, especially if you have large amounts of data. If I'm looking to put every Everything I have on my system right now on the cloud, we're looking 10 terabytes of data. For one, network-wise, that would never, ever get uploaded. Oh my gosh, that would take years. But two, the cost of network storage is so much more than the cost of local data that you need to be a little more picky and choosy as to what are the things that are going to cloud storage and what are the things that are staying on local media. Yeah, like just looking at Dropbox's pricing for their individual plan, it's $16.58 a month. That's using their individual professional. You get three terabytes of storage. That's not a small amount of data by any means, but... Could that cover everything I had? No. But would that be enough that if you had some files that you needed to work on from multiple places, from multiple computers, you could access them pretty easily? Sure. Well, see, here's the thing. That's if you are built annually. If you go month to month, it's $20 a month for three terabytes. Now, I haven't looked at Google Drive's plans recently. Obviously, people are going to say, well, just do Nextcloud. Then you have to manage a Nextcloud device and instance and all that stuff. And that's not something some people want to do. The beautiful thing about a Nextcloud is you are in far more control of it and I would say in many ways mm -hmm. especially how it's set up your data is safer than on something like a Google Drive oh definitely but at the same time it does take more technical skill to get that next cloud server set up make sure everything is ready to go to manage it and if you a don't have the knowledge that can be overwhelming or say you have the knowledge you just don't have the time to maintain that kind of thing that's where some of these proprietary services would come in. My warning is always in general, like the internet as a whole, be careful what you put out there. Just because it is your quote unquote cloud storage does not mean that it is a safe place for sensitive data. And it also doesn't mean that it's your cloud storage. <laughs> exactly. Depending on the terms of service. I think it's a balancing act that people need to look at a little more. 
I don't like over-reliance on solely online services, but I also understand the limitations of local only Mm -hmm. because there are obviously the not having the convenience factor sometimes. Crap, I forgot that important document for this meeting. Oh, it's on my insert drive provider here. Yeah. As opposed to, crap, I left it at home on that machine. And now what am I going to do? Yeah. (laughs) Got to wing this, you know, million dollar project. Doesn't always work that well. I definitely see both sides of it. Like you said, I think it's a balancing act. A little bit of both. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the passive manager we use and trust. It's the easiest, safest way for individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations to store their passwords and other vital sensitive information. Bitwarden lets you choose the authentication to access your password manager, such as PIN, master password, and adding phrases or fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. Bitwarden is a password manager that I use and trust because Bitwarden is 100% open source. It has extensive security audits. It gives you the ability to self-host if you so choose. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. It's only $10 for a premium account, which gives you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, and more. Make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. If you're like me, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the Premium Edition, especially since the Premium Edition starts at only $10 annually. Bitwarden has saved me from getting into a serious jam numerous times. Now, you wouldn't be able to pry it from my cold, dead device. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. Speaking of storage, games always need storage. And which one do you have for us this week? Which one do I have for you this week? Hmm, let me think. It's like you're saying that I'm maybe having a game recommendation every week. Usually. I had one week where I didn't, thank you. One out of 40 plus episodes, totally besides the point. This one that I have is actually one called Edge of Eternity. This is a swan song, love song, call it whatever you want, to JRPGs of old. I want to say late 90s, early 2000s, like that Final Fantasy VIII kind of game or uh, Fantasy Star Online kind of vibe to them. The art style is very Western, but it's in the vein of Japanese RPGs. Unless you've actually immersed yourself in the genre, it's kind of hard to have people understand what that means. The best explanation I can give is Japanese RPGs, character design, style, and that kind of stuff tend to fall into a very specific style. Wendy, you would probably know what I'm talking about specifically. There's a very specific look that they have. Western RPGs tend to be a bit more grounded in their look as far as aesthetics. You have things like The Witcher. There's a Western influence, but the way you look at it is one's basically anime and one's basically goes for a realism and it's looking as characters. The way they present and tell kind of stories and that kind of stuff. This one is very much a tropey kind of thing. If you've been in the genre at all, there's the typical hero save world kind of thing. It's very cut and dry. The story is actually really good, though. Yeah, you're the hero, but it's not like your typical amnesia, I knock myself on the head, I don't remember who I am kind of story, which is kind of refreshing for a JRPG type of game. The combat is very nice and fluid. It's more action combat. So if you've played like Final Fantasy 15, it's going to be more in that line of thinking. So it's very fast moving and that kind of deal. The system requirements are kind of high. I mean, the minimum is a requirement of a 970. 
we're on the 3800 series now or whatever for video cards. If you're looking at it, you're talking three generations of video cards now. It's not terrible. 1070, I think, is the recommended, if I remember correctly. Yep. It is definitely up there in requirements. I can play this on a 760 just fine. But I have to temper my expectations with the reality of the hardware. Instead of going for the high settings, maybe try the medium settings. But overall, I like the art style. I like the fact that this is a Kickstarter game. These guys used early access for Steam in the right way because that helped development costs and stuff. They kind of released it chapter by chapter. They were very good about updates. They were very clear where they were standing with the updates. They announced a release date like three months ahead of time. And lo and behold, this game came out on time. As of this recording, it was on June 8th. That was the one that they gave three months prior. And that's the release date that they put it out on. Wow, it's brand new, like brand, brand new as far as official releases. Yeah, I've just had it forever because I bought it when it was in early access. It's a $30 game. You're going to get at least 30 hours out of it, minimum. I can at least guarantee you that. I would buy this at $30 because I would view it as a, I don't want to say bargain game because it's not. There's a lot of love and attention and stuff that went into it because they love the genre. But it is definitely worth the $30, I think. To have a studio and a game developer constantly push that and do early access and kickstarting and all that stuff the right way, I can totally support that. Some people, not going to lie, might have a problem though with how the updates were because they're uncompressed. So there are sometimes the updates can be really big. <laughs> As an example, they had a release a couple of days prior that I saw in Steam I needed to update it. It was like a four and a half gig update. And I'm like, what the heck? It's because they're not compressing stuff. Wow. They are leaving it uncompressed because you have less load times. Mm. So it's a technical decision and it's one that they actually put to the community to vote on. Stuff like that like really made me like the development team behind this. So I kind of wanted to focus on that. And yes, it does run on Linux, obviously, like most of these game recommendations, unless I caveat that it doesn't work or I play it on another system. This does work on Linux. There's some visual, typical shader compiling stutters here and there, but overall it works. And I can't complain about the performance. It's just been a fun game to play and see develop the right way. This game took six years from initial Kickstarter to final release. So for a lot of people, it seemed like every finalizer come out, but it did. Six years. That's a lot of time. 2015 was when the Kickstarter first happened. 2021 is when it came out. See, I just need to tell my daughter, have a little bit more patience because there's a game that she's now impatiently waiting on. I've brought it up before. The new one from Joey Drew Studios. I would definitely tell your daughter that it is a long haul for some people. Just use this one as an example. Over half a decade. Even AAA Studios. Your daughter was a big budget example. It took them over 10 years to put out Final Fantasy 15. Oh, wow. 15 started off initially as Final Fantasy versus 13, if I remember correctly. Holy moly. Let's let me talk about the remake that they did for 7, which took like five years. Long time. It is not a short haul for games by any means. No, especially games that are done with time, attention, and detail. I will say that about this game. It shows, even though the engine might limit it, I don't remember exactly what engine it's using. I think it's using Unreal, if I remember correctly. It's still a really cool game and definitely one that I've enjoyed seeing progress. Definitely recommend it. 
speaking of things like art and all the fun stuff that goes with video games, what specific art stuff have you been working on, Wendy? I was introduced to something that I've been asking for, and that is a cross between dark table and raw therapy. Here recently, there was a post on the discourse forum talking about art. They have forked raw therapy. Both raw therapy and dark table have tons and tons of different tools. And I liked the way that they were laid out in dark table better than I like the way they're laid out in raw therapy. And so they've removed some things from raw therapy just in order to make it easier to navigate. But then they've pulled some things in from dark table. One of the things that they've pulled in from Darktable was the automatic perspective correction tool, which this tool is really cool. I've loved using it in Darktable. Take a building where you're going to get some distortion because of the lens, because of the angle that you're looking at it. This helps adjust some of those different perspectives that are skewed. Another thing that they're pulling in from Darktable is the ability to use masks, and it's one of the most powerful tools inside of Darktable is being able to adjust only certain sections of the image with a drawn mask or a parametric mask. I absolutely love that about Darktable. They're bringing that to a raw therapy-like application with art. In Darktable, you have to go in and choose which files you're going to load. So say you've added more pictures to a file folder, well, then you need to go back in and re-import that folder so that you can have those images that were added to it, which is something that I do on a fairly regular basis, right? If I am taking stuff in one month that matches one category, all of those images are going into the exact same folder of that job code and month date. This is just so much easier for me to keep track of those kind of things. So I do have folders that need updated The glorious thing about both raw therapy and art is the way that you do not have to go in and manually reload. If you're on that folder already, it'll just pull in those pictures because it's already accessing that folder directly. I'm super excited about this project. They're doing some really awesome things. I think they're making some great changes. So this is one more option when you're trying to decide how you want to edit your photos and have great tools. I really like a lot of the things that they're doing with the UI. Have you tried it with any, I don't want to say production stuff, but like test images or anything to see how it would work for you workflow wise and stuff? I mean, given that you're fairly used to a specific workflow with Darktable and whatnot. I have played with it a little bit. And one of the things that I was really liking about it is fringing. So on specific items or for me, some of the jewelry I wear, you'll get that purple fringing around the jewelry. And I was playing with some of the stuff they have going in there to clean it up really, really nice. I am so used to my workflow in Darktable and the way that not only those tools are named, but how they're laid out. Even though Darktable has made changes in recent updates to it, Darktable is still my home when it comes to photo editing, but I am not shying away from the fact that art is a fantastic option too when it comes to editing images. I'll definitely look forward to hearing about your adventures as you play around with us some more. I'm always interested in the 
hear different perspectives on new programs, old programs, especially when it comes to people who use them specifically. Like in your case, we've talked about things like White Zone in comparison mm-hmm. to like your uses of Dark Table and Raw Therapy and that kind of stuff. New project coming out that kind of combines, as you said, at one point in one episode. Dark therapy. Yes. That is really cool. I'll have to keep an eye on this project. Was this one that you had to pull from the AUR or was this native in the repos? I did go ahead and pull this one from the AUR, but there are so many different ways to get this. For Windows, there are app images. You can get a PPA. There's packages in OpenSUSE. On their website, they show that if you want their package right now, you're getting it from the AUR. And then there's also macOS builds. So there are lots of different ways to get your hands on the software, not just the AUR. That is really cool. Love seeing developers do that. Yeah, it's awesome. They are really trying to make an application that's easily accessible to everyone, regardless of whether you're using Linux or not. And if you are wanting to get someone started on an open source version of a photo editing workflow, I would absolutely hand someone art. It is definitely an application I would introduce somebody to that was interested in going that route. We'd like to continue the discussion with you on Telegram, Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for information on how to contact the social channels and all of our shows and creators at destinationlinux.network. You can find more information about Nate at cubiclenate.com with links to his regular written blatherings, podcast, and YouTube channel. You can find my random ramblings on Twitter and blame me for all your gaming purchases at MattDLN. You can find me on Mastodon at WendyDLN at Mastodon.online. Be sure to check out the DLN merch store. Grab yourself some awesome DLN extend swag along with stuff from across the network. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another fantastic episode of DLN Extend. Until then, have a great week, everyone. On this episode of DLN Extend, we discuss the value. <laughs> yeah, that's not what I. I literally forgot to change everything. <laughs> <laughs> wow that's a slight overlook <laughs> i'm like wait wait there you go wait a Not minute there, there we <laughs> go there we go Without last week's topic. At least it's nice to know that I'm not the only one that makes the mistakes when it comes to the, the copying pasting of stuff, though. Uh, yeah, it happens. It totally happens. All right, let's try this again. Alrighty. I am definitely a fan of the hotter, the better kind of deal as far as my food is concerned. Like it spicy. Yep. And I've never been a super fan of spicy things. Like I've never minded some heat, but I didn't want it so spicy that it's overpowering the flavor. So a little bit of heat, I don't mind, but too much heat. Uh... Yeah, you're not one of those that's going to go and try to shout out on a whole like ghost pepper kind of deal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. Funny story about peppers. My younger son, I mean, he was really little at the time, probably two-ish, and we had some sweet bell peppers, some mini sweet bell peppers in the garden at the same time we had habaneros, and he'd grabbed a habanero thinking it was one of these sweet bells and bit the end off of it. I wasn't even in the room when he did it. I just started hearing a kid scream and went to go find out what was going on and was instructed that he bit a pepper. And then he'd thrown it and spit it out. So I had to search for which pepper he'd bit into, found it was a habanero. 
anybody who's ever been around spicy peppers or bit one, you realize that water is not the option. Water will only make it hotter. You need a fat to coat your tongue and cut that heat. So it's no longer having interactions with those nerve cells. So first I gave him some half and half and that wasn't working. And I ended up handing him a stick of butter, which finally was able to cut the heat and he was able (laughs) to go back to being a normal two-year-old. But (laughs) pretty rough on him there for a little bit. Uh, Life learning experience. (laughs) Yes. He has never just grabbed a pepper and assumed what it was. Now he makes sure... And he's six now. Sorry, all I get pictures is the screwy kid. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was like, I thought he was dying. Seriously. Which he probably thought he was dying. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> Habaneros are no joke, not gonna lie. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're hot. Holy oh, moly. Moly, 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 moly. Yeah. 